0: 4, 18 through 22, and this is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Could you guys turn, I'm getting some, you guys hear that out there? Is it Like, yeah, can you just turn it down a little bit? Test, 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 that's good. Is that good? Is that better? Still a little bit of feedback, but anyways, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like in our lives to follow Jesus? Uh, You know, every single day I am humbled and blown away by the fact that God has blessed uh, us with the opportunity to to raise our son Jude. And I don't know if you guys realize this or not, I was looking this up this past week. Did you know that by the age of one, kids begin to imitate their parents? They do. Uh, I've got pictures, uh, go ahead and put that next slide up there. I've got pictures, uh, and I don't have a lot of them up there, but sometimes I remember when Jude was just, just one, and he was looking at me while I was eating and he was trying to hold his spoon like me and he was trying to shovel his food in his mouth like I do because I just try to shovel it in there. But they begin to imitate their parents because they want to be like their parents. You know, Jude, you got that center picture there on the bottom. He's, he's kind of mopping the floor there with his little Swiffer. That's because he sees daddy vacuuming like two or three times a week. Robin likes to joke that whenever we had uh, our dog, Summer, a golden retriever, that our vacuum became a, a permanent uh, fixture uh, in our living room. And it's probably true. But Jude see, sees me vacuuming, and so he wants to get out his little Swiffer and vacuum. Uh, he's raking the leaves up there, he recalls he sees uh, Daddy raking leaves. He's mowing the grass, not really, that's just, it's not, he's not really mowing the grass, just, just so you guys know. Uh, but he sees Daddy mowing the grass, and of course down here he's, wanting to sit like me and, and be like me. And, of course, my favorite one is the, the one where he's, it's a little golf set if you can't see that. And uh, it's so funny because the very first time I ever swung a club in front of him, and he thought it was the funniest thing. I don't know if because he thought it was just uh, silly that my golf swing looked that funny or if he just thought it was funny because the golf club was just kind of going forward and backwards. But uh, we, we buy him a little golf set, and he takes his golf clubs, and he wants to imitate my golf swing, which I have found, believe it or not, that there's a lot of people out there that want to imitate my golf swing, right, Arthur? I mean, they they see me out there and they're like, man, we want to imitate that. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. But this is the whole point of what Jesus is calling his followers to do. When Jesus says, come follow me, this means to imitate my life. Walk this way. Follow me. And my question this morning is, are we doing this? Are we following Jesus? Are we imitating Jesus? I'm really excited because over the next two weeks I'm going to have the opportunity to take a close look at what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus in our workplace, in our home, and in our community. We'll be looking at things that Jesus himself said and they're not always easy to hear. As a matter of fact, sometimes Jesus said things that were just difficult and hard to understand and disturbing. But my prayer is, is that you will be challenged through this through the word and it will take time to examine in our own lives what we are doing and are we really following Jesus I mean I'm sure if I asked you this morning if you were a follower of Jesus most everybody in here without question would just raise their hands and say yes I'm a follower of Jesus right without hesitation but the reality is is we probably all have different perceptions of what it means to follow Jesus let me explain it this way this coming Saturday, I'm going to uh, be running in the U-Crops 10K, along with several folks here in the church. I think there's several of you that's going to be running in this race, walking, running, whatever the case may be. It's one of the biggest races in Richmond. I'm not sure the number. I, was, I meant to look it up this morning, but I'm going to throw a number out there. 30,000, does that sound right to you guys? 35? That's a lot of people, isn't it? 35,000 people. 40. Not 45. Do I hear 45? 50, 50. 50. And there's a lot of people that run this race. It's a popular race. And I'll tell you why it's popular, because it's a fun atmosphere. There's gonna be people there that come out Saturday morning and they're just gonna be kind of your Sunday morning strollers. You know what I mean? They're gonna just walk, walk the course. They wanna enjoy each other's company. They want to enjoy the atmosphere. They got bands playing. They've even have like they can even get like drinks on the way or whatever. It's just it's just a fun atmosphere. And so there'll be people out there that are just kind of like a stroll in the park, okay? And then you've got people out there that run for a cause. And so you'll see some people that are dressed in some crazy outfits. And that's a great thing, man, because they're raising money for a cause. And so they're they're just kind of out there having fun as well, enjoying the atmosphere, listening to the bands. You know, they'll run, they'll walk, they'll do whatever. Uh, But then you've got other people out there who are, they've got one thing in mind, and that is to either win the race or they've set a goal in their mind that they want to beat. And so they're out there for one purpose. And that's the purpose that I'm running the race, because I've got a goal in my mind of what I want to finish this race in. And I think that a lot of times we approach Christianity this way. You have some people that think following Jesus is very, very casual, kind of like the walkers, you know, it's a Sunday morning stroll. They're very casual in their relationship. They, they think following Jesus is a one-time decision and they don't have to worry about his commands and his standards. These types of people know about Jesus, but their lives are not necessarily in Jesus. Jesus isn't the only one, but he's one of many for them. Then you have the race uh, for good cause types, people. You know, I go to church at least two or three times a month, which is better than half. My parents are Christians. I own three Bibles. I have a fish on the back of my car, Jesus fish. I wear Christian t shirts, right? That's good. Uh, you can even quote scripture, and you may even teach Sunday school or sing in the choir. You read your Bible, you pray, you may even fast on occasion. But my point is, I think many of us are quick to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, but are not sure what following Jesus really means. Because, you see, our culture, we are all prone to spiritual deception. And that's just the way it is, because of the culture we live in. And one of the most disturbing and hard passages in the Bible comes straight from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. And next week, we're going to examine this whole section of scripture, and I'm super duper excited about this. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is confronting this group of Pharisees, this group of Christians, and he tells them, he says, there's going to come a day where everyone who has ever lived will stand before God. And on that day, many who call themselves Christians and identify themselves as followers will stand confidently in front of God only to hear him say, away from me, I never knew you. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that keeps me awake at night sometimes. I mean, you can ask Robin, we have conversations quite frequently about that. Have we bought into this idea of casual Christianity? That it's just a one time decision and then we can kind of just do whatever we want to, or we give God a little bit of time here and a little bit of time there? See, culturally we identify ourselves as Christians, but biblically we're not following Jesus. I love what David Platt says. He says, we've taken the lifeblood out of Christianity and put Kool-Aid in its place so that it tastes better to the crowds. Man, have we watered down the message? Have we bought into this idea that following Jesus is comfortable and easy? And then you have the other type of runners that are in it to win it. These followers are what I call all in. You ever played poker and you just say, I'm all in. I'm cashing in all my chips because they know without a doubt they have a winning hand. They know that God has saved them for a purpose, and they spend their lives living out that purpose. Man, that's, that's what we want to talk about over the next couple weeks. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus said, come follow me. Now, I want to give us a bird's-eye view of what's happening here, because you know, for me, i struggled with this for so long, you, you read Matthew 4.18, it's like you see Jesus come up to these guys, these fishermen, and he says, come follow me. And it's like they immediately drop their nets and what they're doing, and they come follow Jesus. And you read that, and you think, man, what in the world is going on here? Did Jesus have something that was just glowing from him? Did he have this big sign on it that said, you better say yes? You know, I don't know what was it about Jesus. And I think if we read, um, kind of get a bird's eye view, and we read uh, the account in the other four Gospels, we put all four Gospels together, you kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on here. And so I want us to take us, because you see, Matthew and Mark have the exact same thing. It's Jesus walks up to these guys, says, come follow me, they drop everything they're doing and they go follow Jesus. But if we go over to the Gospel of John, and if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me over to the Gospel of John, you can, Uh, Gospel of John chapter 1, 29 through 42, I think we get a, a clearer picture here of what's going on. Remember, the very first two disciples that Jesus came up to was Andrew and who? Andrew and Peter, right? They're brothers, right? They're fishermen. So here in John, I want you to pay close attention, because if you just read this casually, you'll miss this, because I missed it for years, okay? I missed it for years. But when I went back and read this, it's like a light bulb went off, and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. So John chapter 1, starting at verse 29 now, if you guys do not know who John the Baptist was, John the Baptist was uh, the guy who came to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the guy that came and preached repentance and believed because Jesus is coming, and he was the one to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, as a uh, teacher, you always had people that followed you, disciples. And so John the Baptist had his own following as well. Okay, so that's, that's key to remember that as we read through this passage. So this is what it says, starting at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Let that sink in for a second. (laughs) Yeah? That's amazing. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, all this has taken place. Go to the next verse. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Again, he's pointing out, this is the Lamb of God. So now John's disciples are kind of, they got light bulbs going on because these guys were raised in a Jewish culture where they studied the Old Testament scriptures. And so John is just quoting from Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so these followers these of John the Baptist are kind of thinking, wait a minute, something's, something's, something's going on here, something's different. And this is what he says. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Because they were like, Something, something's going on with this guy. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, there's your first clue. Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. So that kind of gives you a clue right there. Andrew was one of John's disciples. He was one of John's followers. And so Andrew's like, you know what? I'm going to check this Jesus out. I'm going to see if he's really who John the Baptist says he is. And so then it goes on and he says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah, okay? So here you have in John's gospel the setup. These disciples are kind of checking Jesus out. Is he the real deal or not? Now let's go over to Luke's gospel, and you're going to see the confirmation of this call. And this is really good. I get excited about this. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. All right, are you on the edge of your seat? There you go. I'll, there you go, Gary. All right, Luke chapter 5. This is, this is like one of my favorite stories of all time. Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. This is why it's important, guys, when you read the Gospels to try to read them all, to, like, take it all together. You know, this is, this is why it's important to do this. Luke chapter 5, verse 111, this is one of my favorite stories. And this is what it says. It says one day, now remember, the disciples, Andrew and Simon, have been checking Jesus out. All right, they've been, they've been kind of following behind him. Is this guy legit? Is he real? Is he, is he the real deal? And one day, as Jesus... We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. What do you know about fishing? You know? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Check this next verse out. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So you kind of get the overview here of why when Jesus walks up to them and says, come follow me, they drop everything to follow Jesus. I mean, Simon Peter fell at his feet and said, away from me, Lord for I am a sinful man. It's at that point that they realize that what John the Baptist has been saying is real. This may very well be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Peter sees this miracle that Jesus does in front of him, it's like he, he sees himself for who he is and he sees Jesus for who he is and he can't help but fall on his knees And awe. Oh, and say, God, Jesus, away from me. And that's the point. God's goodness and holiness brings them to an awareness of who they are. And when we are able to see Jesus for who he is and ourselves for who we are, that we are sinners and that we are lost and that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that's when we fall to our knees and we're like, Jesus, we need you. We need you. Consider the eye-opening portrait of Jesus that Matthew paints leading up to this. To this initial encounter between Jesus and his followers. Matthew does a great job of describing Jesus as a Savior who came to deliver men and women from their sins. He's the promised Messiah whom God's people have been eagerly awaiting for centuries, hundreds of years. In his description of the virgin birth, Matthew puts Jesus' full humanity and full deity on display, making it clear that Jesus alone is unique. There is no one like Jesus. Amen? And the beauty of it all is that Jesus comes to these fishermen and to you and to me and he says, follow me. Understand that Jesus is not just your ordinary religious leader begging for an invitation from anyone, but he is the all-sovereign God who deserves total surrender from everyone? I mean, there is absolutely nothing that these fishermen did to draw that would draw Christ to them. Jesus is not calling them for who they are, but in spite of who they are. They don't have many qualities in their favor, and neither do we. But that's the point. There is no one that warrants Jesus' pursuits and yet he comes to them. Jesus takes the initiative and comes to them. I I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but when Jesus comes into the world uh, and the culture that he comes into, they came into this uh, Jewish system that is rabbi, disciple type teacher thing. And if you study history, uh, the history says that disciples, people who wanted to follow a certain rabbi, always, always 100% of the time went to the rabbi and said, may we follow you. Jesus inverts it. Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. Later in the Gospels, Jesus would say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We become followers of Jesus solely because of the initiative and invitation of Jesus Christ. See, God takes the initiative and we can never take God by surprise. He always makes the first move, always. He's always there. Going all the way back to the, to the book of Genesis where it says, in the beginning, before we existed, before you were ever thought of, God took action. See, a lot of people think God is just sitting comfortably on an easy chair eating Cheetos and he's uninterested in our lives. He's aloof to everything, you know what I mean? He's licking his fingers with cheese, cheesy. But see, the Bible reveals a God who long before it even occurs to men and women to turn to him while they, we were still sinners, while we were still lost in darkness, that God takes the initiative, rises from his throne, lays aside his glory. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, beautiful passage where it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but he laid it aside and pursues his people. Ah, it gives me cold chills. Man, does that excite you? This is, this is the good news. Think about that. We are saved from our sins because Jesus decided to do something 2,000 years ago. I mean, we are totally and utterly unable to save ourselves. And based upon his grace, his mercy, and his love and coming to us, we have been invited to follow Jesus, God has created us and we are valuable to him. And even though we've wandered away from him, he comes searching after us. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved by him. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23, you guys familiar with that? The very last verse of that psalm where it says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Had a professor teach us in college that the actual Hebrew in that verse says that surely God will chase us all the days of our life. We get this picture that God is pursuing us. He is chasing after us. You see, our only responsibility in this whole process is our free will choice to either accept or reject his invitation to follow him. Psalm 14, 2 and 3 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there are any who understand any who seek God all have turned away all have become corrupt there is no one who does good not even one God has pursued us and now we must seek Jesus and the only reason that we can even seek Jesus in our sinfulness is because God sent Jesus down on the cross for our sins that's what's crazy and it's at that point that I like to say the rubber meets the road You know, this is where it gets real this is what separates the casual Christian from the hardcore, sold-out, I'm-all-in follower of Jesus. This right here. Because, you see, Jesus tells us in the Gospels that if you seek, you will find. But the reason many of us do not seek God is because it doesn't take long before we realize that to find God and to accept his invitation to follow him is a very inconvenient thing to do. And so we're, we're okay with just kind of casually following Jesus. We're okay with comfortably accepting his invitation because it doesn't mean we have to do anything. But then if we begin to seek him, after we've accepted his invitation, we begin to search his word and we begin to pray and we begin to fellowship, we begin to see that this isn't isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. See, it would involve our rethinking our whole outlook on life and lead to major changes in the way we live. We want a God that we can conform to. We want to give God our plan. Which leads us to Jesus' next statement. He says, and I will make. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make. The idea here is change, transformation. The concept is repentance. You guys know what repentance is? It's a word. We use it in church a lot. But if you're not familiar with what repentance is, repentance just means turning Turning from my sin, turning from myself towards God. See, repentance signifies transformation in someone's mind, heart, and life. I just want to be totally honest because I think this is where we have a disconnect in our walk with Jesus. This is something that I struggle with, and I'm just going to be transparent here with you and and be real, and I think this is something that a lot of us struggle with. It was even an issue in Jesus' day because, see, the Bible teaches as well as Jesus that our being, that our whole self comes from our heart. The heart is kind of the center of our being. Robin and I have been reading a book, uh, and I recommend it, and I, I endorse the book. I mean, I would just, I tell you to read it. If you're, even if you kids are grown and uh, your are grandparents or whatever. But it's by a guy by the name of Ted Tripp, is that right? He's got a brother, so I get him confused. But the the name of the book is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And he comes at it from the premise that we've got to focus on the heart. And this is what happens, I think, a lot of times in Christianity. We focus on behavior. See, we come to Jesus and we think we've got to change. We think I've got to do better. I've got to follow a list of rules And regulations. I've got to straighten up. You know, I can't cheat, I can't lie, I can't steal, I can't have sex, I can't do any of these things before, whatever the case may be. And we put these burdens on ourselves and we focus on external behavior. And what happens is we become really, really, really good moralists. But you know why that doesn't work? Because you're going to continue to fail. And you're going to continue to get discouraged. And you're going to continue to say, I can't do it. I can't live this life for Jesus. I can't change. And this is where we missed the boat. Because the religious leaders in Jesus' day did the exact same thing. They were constantly putting burdens on people. Follow this rule. Follow that command. Do you remember the story? We studied this in a small group Friday night. Dan, you remember this—the Pharisee and uh, the tax collector, where they're praying before God, and the Pharisee says, "God, I'm glad I'm not like this sinner." And then the tax collector is like, "God, I'm a sinner." This—that's the point. Jesus is like, "You're not justified. The one who comes before me and recognizes his need for me is justified." Guys, when we can see that we need Jesus as our Savior, He wants to come in and He wants to not just change our behavior. He wants to transform our heart. That's the good news of Christianity. It's not about getting the new, it's about getting a whole different change. See, we, we, we want to we do things to earn God, God's favor. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but even when, we, even when we talk about reading our Bibles and we talk about praying and we talk about fasting and we talk about doing all these things for the wrong reasons, that's self-righteousness. We're just like the Pharisees. That's a sin, just like self-indulgence is. And Jesus says, I want to change your heart. We're attempting to do outward things apart from inward transformation, and it just doesn't work. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The good man brings good things out of the goodness stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks the Bible is clear that there is nothing we can do to make our hearts clean before holy God our heart determines our our, outward behavior you must focus on the heart first and not just behavior you know what happens when we do that you know what happens when we focus just on behavior and not the heart we lessen what Jesus did on the cross you know why because essentially what we're saying is Jesus what you did on the cross is not sufficient for me I can change on my own. I don't need the cross. Does that make sense? Think about King David. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 51, King David has just been called out for his sin with Bathsheba where he committed adultery and then he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. David's prayer, he says, God created me a clean heart and renewed a spirit with me. He didn't say, God... Change my, change my behavior. God, help, help me to be a, a better, better behaviorist. He said, God created me a clean heart. The gospel is not a message about doing new things. It's a message about being a new creature. 1 Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, anyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, the gospel message speaks to people as broken, fallen sinners who are in need of a new heart. God has given us Jesus to make us new creatures, and this is the point. When we repent and and allow Jesus to transform our heart, our desires begin to change. Our desire is intimacy with Jesus. So when we're tempted to sin and indulge in self-pleasure, we see that Jesus is greater than that, which will always be a struggle for us, because as long as we're in the flesh, and for those of us that are self-righteous in our desires to read the Bible to become, to earn points with God, our desires begin to change, and we want to read the Bible because we want to become more intimate with God. And we want to pray because we want to become more intimate with God. So as we follow Jesus, he wants to transform our hearts. This leads us to the third statement Jesus says. He says, you will be fishers of men. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. More important than searching for fish all over the sea, these guys are going to start spreading the gospel all over the world. And this is the mission that Jesus gave from the beginning. It's not surprising that the book of Matthew ends on the mountainside with Jesus telling his disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, when we become more intimate with Jesus, we cannot help but care about what he cares about. We start to care about what really matters. And the things on this earth, like physical pleasures, become less important. The people that we know and love who do not know Jesus are lost for eternity unless they accept Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And when we believe this reality, it changes the way that we think, pray, and spend our time and money. Yeah, I'm convinced that sharing the gospel is probably one of the biggest things that we fear most. Would you agree? I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're just fearful of rejection or just fearful of what people think of us. Uh, this is, I, I was super convicted, and I don't remember what it was, but it was latter part of last year, first part of this year. And again, Robin, she, she could tell you, man, we have conversations about this stuff all the time because I, I share these things with her, and I'm like, man, this is, I just feel like that out of everything, man, this is, this is what God wants us to do. This is what he called us to do, was to share his Word. Share our testimony. What has Jesus done in our life? And so I just started praying about that. I'm like, God, I I am guilty, you know. I mean, I I would definitely talk with people when I would share it, but I don't know, man. I was just, I struggled with it. Does anybody else struggle with that? Come on, be honest. You guys are all lying. Just kidding. Maybe you're not. But I decided, you know what, This this is what God wants. And so I just, I just want to share with you guys some practical things that we can do, I think, if we're seriously about seeking God and about Him transforming us. Things that we can do to be more intentional with sharing the gospel. We can, we can uh, weave the gospel message in our conversations. At work. You know, people are talking with you. You can share about how God's answering prayer in your life. You can start by waking up in the morning and just saying, God, prepare me today for an encounter with somebody where I have the opportunity to speak the gospel message in their life, you know. Oftentimes, I I, I don't have the opportunity because I don't. I'm not prayed. I'm not ready. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm I'm approached with a situation. I'm like, wait a minute, is God trying to open a door here? I'm not ready. You know. Start the day off by saying, God, make me ready today. I just got to share a few things. Be intentional. Be intentional. You know, I, uh, I started going, uh, when I, we moved here, um, I, I, didn't, I intentionally didn't want to get my hair cut from anybody within the church because I intentionally wanted to go out and, and build a relationship with somebody. And, and so I found this lady. I've been going to her now for over two years. Her name is Baron. You may have heard me mention her before. She's from Turkey, and she's Muslim. And by God's grace, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with her on two separate occasions. She's very close to her family who still lives in Turkey, and if you know anything about Muslim culture, if you accept Christ, your family disowns you. And I have just been praying and praying and praying that God would just draw her to the foot of the cross. Yeah, I've built a relationship with folks in my neighborhood, and I just say, you know what, it's time for me to get off my rump and do something. So we've been actively going around and just sharing the gospel with these individuals. Our family, we've got family members that, man, we just know are casually following Jesus, and, and they're, not, they're not really following Jesus. And so we've been praying about that, and the last time we were in town uh, a couple weeks ago, I had to speak at a teen conference in Bluefield, West Virginia. And so I was, we had uh, dinner with Robin's sister, and we just started having the conversation because it's too important. We started asking questions. We came away encouraged and we came away discouraged, but we're going to keep having the conversations. I was, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Lowe's and was talking to this guy named Adam. They were getting ready to close, and he was so excited because he was getting ready to go the next day and buy a brand spanking new truck. And uh, I, I got to be honest, I walked into Lowe's. I was tired. I was getting a key made, and I didn't really want to talk to anybody. And I'm sitting there, and this guy's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, God, are you trying to tell me something here? Do you, you want me to talk to this guy? Okay, okay. So I start having a conversation. He tells me he's behind a truck. and I'm like, okay, one thing leads to another. Before it's over with, man, I've been able to share with him about Jesus. He, he, he's he been to church before. He's not, by any stretch of the imagination, a follower of Jesus. His name is Adam. But I just started sharing with him. I was like, man, I, said, I want to encourage you to just go back and read the Gospels, man. Read about Jesus. And I don't know about you, man, but but it's weird. It's like... I always have that hesitation. I always have that little bit of fear. But then whenever I do it, man, it's like it's so exhilarating. It's like, it's like a drilling rush, you know, when you do it. And you're like, man, I want to do it again. Yeah, you know? Guys, it's hard, but this is what God calls us to do. Man, I just want to think about Jesus. Jesus was such a pro at this. When Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman as well, Samaritan women, man, they were outcasts in society. They were the lowest. They just just were disregarded. And she even asks us, what are you doing talking to me, man? I'm a Samaritan woman. And what does Jesus do? Jesus steps in the gap, man, and he shares the gospel with her. Gives her hope. Think about the woman who's getting ready to get stoned because she is sleeping around by the religious leaders. And Jesus walks in. He steps in the gap, and he shares the gospel. He gives that woman hope. Think about the, the four friends that carry their paralytic, cut the roof off a man, drop him down. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't heal him first, but what does Jesus do? Jesus takes care of his greatest need, which is his heart. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals the guy. Jesus stepped in the gap, and he brought hope. And, and what I want to tell you guys is we have this message that is for broken people just like you and me. And God is saying to step in the gap and give this message of hope to people. We work with people that are going through struggles, divorce, people that have lost loved ones, people that are dying, and people that have illness and sickness. And we have the the greatest, we know the God who can take care of the greatest need, and that is their sin problem. And God says, step in the gap, man. Give them hope. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. It's an awesome passage of Scripture. It's it's in Ephesians chapter 2. And and this is what it says. You don't have have to turn there, but this is what we're going to close out with, and we're going to have a time of communion and a time of response for you guys. Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 4, it says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. very first two words of that sentence, but God, again, shows that God takes the initiative. God seeks us. And then I want you to, to focus in on those two words, great love. I learned this week that that's the only time that the Apostle Paul uses that phrase in all of his writings in the New Testament. Great love. Great love. Guys, God has pursued us with a great, great love. And I want us to take some time now as we think about that great love, as we come around the table together, as the men are going to be passing out the communion, the band's going to be playing, And I just want you to think about God's mercy and his grace and his great love that Paul talks about. And I want you to do some self-examination, because that's that's what communion is about. Communion is a self-examination, examining yourself. But then I also want you to do some self-examination about, are you a follower of Jesus? Not casual follower of Jesus, you're not... Do you really know Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Because after we take communion and after you've had a time to meditate on that, then we're going to begin to sing, and, and that's going to be an opportunity for you to come and respond. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you want to go to the cross and you want to pray, if you need to repent about something, I tell you, I told Dan, a small group Friday night, I said, I've been convicted, man, I've got to repent. Did I not, Dan? I've got to repent. I'm not ashamed to tell you, I've got to repent. We're all broken. So I want to encourage you to come to the cross if you need to repent. If you need prayer, I'll be down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you. That's the question we've got to ask, man. Am I a follower of Jesus? So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to come serve the band play. And let's do this. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for passages like this that talk about your great love for us. Whew. God, we just... Uh, And we want to be in all of you. God, we want to recognize ourselves for who we are. and We want to see Jesus for who he is and see that we are in need of him as our savior. But God, we we also want to make him Lord of our life. So I just pray for this time, Father, that as we examine ourselves, that we would just be real.